How much do you think about your weight in general? I don't think about it uh, so much. Yeah, I'm born as a climber. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 20 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe only a semi-pro cyclist wears gloves in big races. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking weight. Hey everybody, I've put together an email course about riding like Eddie and looking like Mario. Well, not really, but it is a recap of the most popular episodes put together in a free email course and sent to you over one month. You'll learn how to ride smarter and harder using little-known or hard-to-find information. To sign up, head over to semiprocycling.com and look for the banner on the homepage. Thank you very much. Now, the news, and I don't have a lot of news this week because I want to move straight into the episode, but I do want to mention quickly that something very important is coming up soon. That is entries for Latap. November 28, you have to be on the website on the day to get them. Nobody's sure whether it's going to sell out for sure yet, but I would not take any chances if you're keen like I am to get going and start training for it. It would suck if you just missed out because of pure laziness and you had to go pay an extra couple of hundred euros or bucks or whatever just because you weren't aware of the date. I will remind you again just before it happens, but keep it in the back of your mind and come and join me. So this week in the Nuts and Bolts, I'm talking about functional movement and specifically how to get it happening through mobility. And I was going to talk about starting strength training, but I was diverted to working on my mobility before I even started getting into the nitty gritty of strength training. I haven't done straight up strength training for a couple of years, so I started hunting around for new ideas and concepts that I could incorporate into it. But it was really funny that I went full circle very quickly and came back to something that was introduced to me in my time at CrossFit, and that is mobility. And mobility has its roots in functional movement, which is linked to biomechanics, and this can lead us to the bike fit methodologies that are out there today. But right now, I'm going to focus on the basics of fundamental movement for strength training and body balance, including a self-assessment tool that can get you started and where to start with your results. Also, I'm going to have a quick look at two common mobility issues that cyclists face. Now, I was led down this path by a guy called Justin Hayes of superhumanpursuits.com. His take on the whole mobility thing is based on his own personal journey into pain and back out again. And he's the first to admit that he knows very little about cycling, but I am cool with that. I'm totally cool with that. I asked him on the show because the way he explains it is very clear and very simple. And I thought that it's an excellent base for anybody that's going to start a strength program to work from. It's also important for movement in everyday life, and I hope that that comes across to you. So I asked Justin onto the show to run through it with me. Okay, Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me, Damien. I want to start straight up and get into mobility, and I would like an explanation from you or a description on exactly what mobility is. So mobility, you don't want to make it any more complicated than it actually is. So the most simple definition of it is the ability to produce motion 
Uh, and, and that usually is described from a joint perspective. So my hip mobility would be, you know, how mobile my hip is if I were to lift my leg from an, like an active straight leg perspective. That is the most simplistic definition of mobility. The way that I've kind of come to think about it, it's kind of stretching with a purpose or, or movement with a purpose where you can actively measure something. It is in a sense, and it's also more so people have all, always associated mobility and flexibility, and they do have a relationship. But at the same time, mobility has a lot of other factors in play. For example, soft tissue plays a huge role in mobility all, you know, through any joint at the body. And if you have soft tissue restrictions, regardless of whether you stretch or how you move, or even if you were to do dynamic flexibility exercises that people are familiar with nowadays, you know, there's a lot more that encompasses mobility. So these are things like the hip capsule, the skin, soft tissue muscles. You're nailing it. Yes, exactly. Okay. I don't think they've moved into the realm of pop culture yet. I think they're still on the fringes and a lot of people don't understand exactly what they are. You're 100% right. And it, I think it even amplifies further that it's used in so many different manners, meaning people define it in different ways. Even at an expert level, you'll see two different definitions of, of mobility. And what I might call a mobility exercise might not be deemed a mobility exercise by someone else. That's kind of where it does get complicated. But the important point is that at the joint level, you have the capacity to produce motion. And however somebody wants to define it deeper than that or the cause and effect relationships between soft tissue, neurological, joint capsule, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's at their discretion. Can you go into why mobility is important? Sure. So mobility sets the stage for developing stability. And mobility and stability encompass movement. Movement is the precursor to developing strength. So if you want to develop strength, athleticism, in whatever sport you're pursuing or just activity you're pursuing, then movement has to be in place, right? If you were to move through a range of motion and you weren't efficient through that range of motion, then stacking strength on top of it or even trying to pursue athleticism without setting that movement as a foundation can be a problem. So in the simplest way, Movement is exceptionally important to developing strength, athleticism, and mobility is very important towards moving properly. So is it for working on weaknesses in order to sort of improve your biomechanics? Is that kind of why it's important as well? Exactly. In a perfect world, everyone would train from a standpoint of finding their weakest link and attacking it. And for some people, that could be mobility. And for some people... That could be stability. And those are the, you know, the two things that do encompass proper movement. And stability is just simply defined as the ability to control movement. So if mobility is the ability to produce movement, stability is the ability to control. So they're really married. I'm kind of focusing just on mobility, but stability really is a major part of the big picture. Is that what you're saying there? A hundred percent. Those two things encompass movement. And uh, that is definitely the big picture. What you want to do is move properly before you were going to try to you know, train through that motion. And stability has a direct effect on mobility as well. If you were to look at somebody's hip mobility, if they couldn't stabilize through the core, meaning it, you know, things weren't fired up and working properly through the core region, then that's going to reflect in their hip mobility. 
So fixing a core stability issue could actually transform hip mobility. It would actually change it. So they have a direct relationship. And vice versa is true as well. You know, if you, you could mobilize an area and that could create a situation where you could more easily stabilize another. Okay, so there has been for a long time tests for mobility and stability. The one that I'm, well, I'm aware of two, but they're by the same person, Gray Cook. It's the functional movement screen, an assessment of mobility and stability that's conducted by a professional. They have a claim on their website that they identify functional limitations and asymmetries, and these are issues that can reduce the effects of functional training and physical conditioning. It's got some criticisms, though. It's not without its criticisms. A couple of the major ones I've kind of found are that it lacks research to support it, that a score, that a low score tells someone that they have a high chance of getting injured, um, which is not always true. Have you had a functional movement screen or are you aware of functional movement screens? Sure. I, uh, I've been screened multiple times and I'm actually certified in FMS through Great Cooks Training Centers. And it does have its limitations, just like anything else. It is basically attempting to help fitness professionals diagnose someone's movement dysfunctions. And that doesn't mean that it's actually going to diagnose exactly what's wrong with you. It gives you a very generalized direction. So, for example, if if you were given an active straight leg raise test and it came back that you were not scoring above a one on that, that would give the professional an idea of what direction to go in. But it by no means tells them exactly what the issue might be. And as far as research into this, my understanding is that the biggest studies done for the functional movement screen say that it's been statistically relevant and proven that if you score over a 14, that your susceptibility to injury is significantly decreased. But that is the only, I know there's ongoing studies to kind of look at it from different perspectives and see what's going on with that. But that is the major study that it's hung its hat on, from my understanding. There is another screen, the self-movement screen, that's in Ray Cook's book, Athletic Body in Balance. I want to quickly run through it. I read the book recently and went through the screen myself. Can you explain what it is or, you know, just quickly run through the movements? Sure. So the athletic body in balance is just what Gray wrote for someone who's trying to look at movement on their own and doesn't have a professional to cater to them. And so he took the original seven movements from the functional movement screen. He broke them down into five and he created them in a fashion that you could do it at home. And what the movements are, are active straight leg raise is the first one and a rotational it's like a rotational stability test is the second one. And then the hurdle step lunge and deep squat. And so the hurdle step lunge and deep squat are obviously from the, uh, the, the larger FMS, the seven exercise, as well as the SLR, the rotary stability one or uh, rotary mobility one is a little bit modified. And all these things do is you would take these tests and what they're going to, they're going to kind of identify where you might be weak, where you maybe need to mobilize a little bit more or stabilize a little bit more. And then Greg goes through kind of exercise progressions inside the book. And I would describe athletic body imbalance as an exceptional resource for someone who is just training on their own at home. But it will also get you to a point 
where you're going to want to get into a trainer rather quickly because you'll see the, the benefits that it provides. Uh, definitely for me has kind of opened up a can of worms and I think it would do with a lot of people and it's made me really interested in, in moving forward with this stuff. I think it would be quite helpful for me and everyone listening if I just quickly ran through my um, what I came up with and then just the way that the book approaches it in regards to the order that you should start and what you should start on and how many things you should focus on. For myself, I failed the deep squat miserably <laughs> and the active straight leg raises. My plan is to start working on the active straight leg raises first, then retest until I can hold my legs straight at 90 degrees. And then if I still fail the deep squat, I'll start working on that. How does that sound? Yeah, that's exactly right. So all the active straight leg raise is, is kind of, you think about the deep squat, it's a very complex movement and encompasses every joint in your body. The active straight leg raise is kind of almost like a, a broken down segmented version of that. And so the active straight leg says to you, hey, I might have a core stability issue, might have hip mobility issue, or I might have hamstring flexibility issues. So, you know, athletic body imbalance will work you through some exercises that will correct those three things. And then not only will that maybe improve your active straight leg raise to 90 degrees, but at the same time, you may go back into that deep squat pattern and all of a sudden you're rock bottom on it. Because maybe the actual problem with your deep squat was related to what you corrected with the active straight leg raise. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's kind of, that was kind of my thinking as well, that there really is so many factors that go into it. Well, now I'm just trying to isolate my hamstrings. See if that works. If not, then go back and try something else. As a, like a DIYer and taking it from doing this at home on your own, it's exactly what you do want to do. The exercises will guide you, and then you just you pick and choose what may best service you or what you feel is producing results. But the end goal is this, is that when you're working out, you work out for three or four days or you know, even every day, and then you retest that active straight leg race, and you say, have I made improvements? You know, do I notice that I'm a little bit better on this? And that'll kind of guide you, tell you if you're going in the right direction. Which is another thing that I get from mobility work as a whole, because you can set goals like that and you can measure progress quite regularly instead of just aimlessly stretching and thinking that you're doing some work when you actually probably have no idea. You, you're just um, ticking boxes, basically. That's exactly right. And moreover, you can be hypermobile. So people who sit down and just constantly do mobility work, and I've had this problem myself with I became kind of more educated on how this all works, but that's where the mobility and stability, how they play off each other, come into play, is that if you are hypermobile, you're mobilizing something that maybe doesn't need it, that would actually be counterintuitive. You wouldn't be producing results. You'd be producing bad results. Yeah, okay. That's interesting because, well, you, you think that you could just keep going and flexibility and, and mobility is just endless, but actually stopping and really figuring out what the movement is, whether you are going too far, is something that doesn't even come to, into your mind when you're stretching, which is, that's a good takeaway, I think. Um, but speaking of takeaways, as far as what I learned from the book when approaching an issue is there's two big things, and, and one was working on one movement at a time, and the second one is work on left to right differences before limitations. I think it's realistic to work on one thing at a time, and, and for me, as long as I'm introducing something that's as low friction as possible, I'm most likely to stick to it. Is there any other things that you can help out with, with that sense of what to work on first? There's definitely the hierarchy that you pointed out, which says, hey, you know, check the ASLR first. If there's a problem there, then let's address that. 
then you go to, to the rotary work, and then you progress up the chain of the more complex stuff like lunge, hurdle step, and deep squat. And I, I do prefer your approach. And in a training environment, if you, know, you were to go to a professional trainer who practiced this stuff, they would do the same thing. They're not going to send you out or home with a bunch of random exercises. They're going to focus in on one of those tests, try to fix it, and then climb up the chain. Okay, so just moving on now to talk slightly about cycling-specific stuff. So we were just talking general terms in regards to doing any strength training. I've got two weak areas that cyclists are synonymous for. The cycling movement is described by K-Star. I'm sure you're aware of K-Star. He is, uh, oh, yeah. He's blowing up online. He describes it as having a fixed butt and really fast-moving legs. I want to step away from that first into an area that's often neglected, and that's the upper body, um, specifically the shoulder region. Anyone that cycles, runs, or works at a computer is, experiences many hours in a flexion state. Um, what mobility work can help out in this instance? Anything from thoracically, which is the area kind of right below your cervical spine and between your lumbar, right behind your shoulders, for those who aren't familiar. Anything you do self-myofascial release-wise, and that may be foam rolling is what most folks are familiar with. A couple of tennis balls in a sock and rolled up along the spine can really get into the thoracic area. You're right, a, a biker seems, I'm not overly familiar with it, but they're constantly in flexion, so they are going to have shoulder mobility restrictions. They're going to be tight through there. That self-myofascial release, soft tissue works on help. And then after you gain that mobility back there, you need to start stabilizing everything around it. And exercises inside athletic body imbalance can kind of sum that up better. But things like wall slides are a good multi-segment exercise that helps for stability in that area. I've started doing a couple of things here. I'm just messing around at the moment. But yeah, definitely working, rolling on the top of that, the spine, getting into the sore spots there, I find are helping, but it's early days yet. Um, an interesting side note is that after I did the deep squat screen, I thought that my shoulders, because I was leaning forward and the bar was actually hitting the door frame, and I thought it was a shoulder issue, but I was sort of hunting through the mobility wad stuff, and there was a, a quick shoulder test in that state, in the, um, the overhead squat state, and it actually worked out that it's probably more of an ankle issue for me than a shoulder issue, which really blew me away. It was really interesting stuff. Yeah, when you start to think about how everything's really interconnected and obviously the podcast in and of itself, but head to toe, anything could cause a problem in the squat. And even though it may not look like that from just a visual perspective, it's definitely the case. It could be ankle mobility. You could have hip mobility problems. You could be tight in your back, tight in your lumbar region, tight in your dress. I mean, any of those problems. And that's, that's part of the reason what you described is exactly why, there's more simplistic tests than the deep squat. The deep, deep squat is kind of like the apex, and something like an active straight leg raise starts to really break that down a little bit so you can get a better starting point on what to address. So the second one is hips. Hips are a massive one for anyone in a chair and anyone that rides a bike. Do you have just a couple of exercises that can help unload the hips a bit? Once again, I would definitely point to... From a mobility perspective, you want to kind of use self-myofascial stuff, foam rollers, but in particular in the hip region, 
I like using a lacrosse ball, tennis ball, softball. Those kind of have a little more focal point to them, and they can get into all the areas of the hip. And that's going to make a dramatic difference for someone who's not up in there, and particularly probably for someone who bikes. But also any of the active straight reg raise exercises that were prescribed in Gray's book will be helpful. And those are things like leg lowering, where you would put both legs in the air at you know the most comfortable angle you could get and slowly lower one under control. And that's going to work through your course ability, which may contribute to the hip mobility and on and on and on. It's essentially, you're just trying to um, create space in the joint or unload the joint by having some resistance there. That's the idea behind it? Yes, that's definitely the idea. Okay. Nearly the final question, but in regards to just stretching as a whole or, or doing mobility work as a whole, what's the minimum dose? I've heard two minutes. Is that correct? That's what I think that uh, the internet fails in this department is that there is no general dose. If we were to look at you, you may have mobility restrictions that would say, hey, we need to spend half of our workout on this. Or you may have none. We may look at your motion. We may say, your mobility is excellent. We need to go straight to stability. Once again, they play off each other. And the prescription is highly, highly unique for each individual. That's why books like Athletic Body and Balance or going and getting screened yourself, and maybe even not a functional movement screen, but any sort of uh, assessment that's rooted in understanding movement is ideal because it's tough to know which direction you're going in or what might be your weakness without actually looking at it. Yeah, this is where it opens up a can of worms because you start moving in this direction and then even if you got better in one area, something else is going to be exposed. And, and after that, it, it may be beyond any basic kind of books that you can read and it really needs an, an experienced eye or, or brain to figure out what is the best way to approach it. It is. It took me, uh, took me a better part of three years of just grinding it out in this do-it-yourself manner until I realized that I learned enough that it took me to a place where I said, I need a professional eye to look at me if I'm serious about moving properly, about getting stronger, and about taking care of myself for the long term. And it's been framed up to me before. You know, you wouldn't just go out and work on your car unless you were a mechanic. And the body is one of the most powerful things, one of the most important things you can take care of on your own. It would be in a lot of people's best interests to go out and hire a professional to look at that. It, it does. And what type of professionals are you looking at here? Is it physical therapy? Is it, uh, I've got no idea where to start, even if I was to start looking for someone. Definitely. It's what you want to, is if you're in pain at all, then you're definitely in the physical therapy, chiropractic realm, somebody, you know, with, with a doctorate. If you're not in pain, then you're looking for a quality trainer. Finding a quality trainer is a very complicated thing. The 80-20 for me, has always been going to Greg Cook's site and looking at the functional movement experts in that area. There's actually a map out of it. And then those individuals are usually going to place a high priority on movement and are hopefully educated in that area. But it's just like anything else. Just because you go and get a, a test uh, a certification from FMS doesn't make you absolutely exceptional at what you do. But it is a good starting point for people and then you go in and, and you get an assessment and you see what they tell you. And, and does it strike a chord with your common sense? Do you feel like that could be the issue at hand, whatever they're describing is? And that's where you take it from there. 
I definitely feel that you can, there's enough information out there that you can find somewhat of a clear path, get a bit of an idea, and then that's going to kind of arm you when you are talking to these people, if you're going to start filtering out any trainers. You're exactly right. It's, if you were to read Athletic Body and Balance, the first three chapters, then you've got, you know, you've got a leg up on anyone who's trying to hire a fitness professional. That's going to put you in a place where you're going to be way more comfortable going in, asking questions, and knowing that you've chose the right person that you're about to hand over money to. Yeah. So, Justin, do you have any parting words, any advice, anything that we've missed or anything that people should really know about mobility and stability and the whole issue? Nothing missed. I would say that movement and posture are exceptionally important. Many people skip this step. They train primarily for their athletic sport or event, or they train primarily for strength or for distance running or whatever it may be, and they miss the boat when it comes to movement. And it truly is the foundation for any of these things and whatever you want to accomplish, whether it be athletically or strength-wise, you need to be efficient in movement to reach that goal. And this may not be a mainstream concept now, but it will become so in time. And so anyone who kind of takes the course and educates themselves now is going to be way ahead of the curve. And moreover, you're going to be healthier and generally more fit. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on the show and, and dropping some knowledge on us. You have pointed me in, in the right direction. Um, it was through your recommendation that I read Brad Cook's book. I'm pumped to get into it. I'll be reporting my gains after I put some of the uh, advice into action. So just wrapping up, where can people find you? I actually have a website where I kind of try to take expert level movement advice and, and dumb it down so that everyone can kind of understand it. And it's www.superhumanpursuits.com. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you, Damien. I really hope you got something out of that. I know I got a ton out of it, and I will be applying a lot of that knowledge and the knowledge from the book that was recommended. One thing that I want to say is that my chat with Justin really reinforced the need for an individual approach. Even my line of questioning reflects my little understanding of this concept, and it's only now, after having some time for it to sink in, that it's starting to really make sense to me because I was asking questions for specific exercises and minimum dosage, etc., but these things really depend solely on the individual and their mobility, stability, and strength, and the concerns that go along with these. So other than outsourcing this to a professional, as we spoke about, if you are a do-it-yourselfer like myself, you really do need to educate yourself on this, because there is more to it than just doing a simple test or following Elsa's mobility routine. There can be a lot of wasted time and you can go in the wrong direction at many points along the journey. Even though now I feel like I've got a grasp on the basics, I know at some point I'm going to need to talk to more professionals like Justin that have extensive knowledge and experience in movement and regaining mobility and stability. So just where to start? As Justin recommended to me, start with Gray Cook's book, Athletic Body in Balance. Also check out Justin's website, superhumanpursuits.com, and take care of your own business. Now let's get to the tech hacks and products, and it's friction and mobility of another kind. Frictionfacts.com, friction-facts.com. I've got the link in the show notes, but Friction Facts is a third-party independent testing facility where their goal is to provide cyclists and triathletes with the tools to maximize their top speed with proper component selection. 
Basically, they've got a lab where they're testing all different components to see if there are any cheap watts by having certain combinations or cleaning or lube or whatever. Now, it's clever and it's a little geeky in a good way, which is something I'm totally into. And it's surprising that it hasn't been done before. Another thing is that I'm not sure whether it is a cheap way to buy speed if Dura-Ace are the best components to use, for example. But here's what you can get from the site. There are drive chain test reports that test out which components will get you to the finish line the fastest. That's theirs, not mine. But they have some plan tests as well, like old and new equipment, chain offset friction, like which gear produces the most power or where are the losses happening, ceramic bearings. That's an interesting one that a lot of people want to probably know if it justifies the expensive cost of ceramic bearings. Different lubes. It's amazing to think that a different lube can be that effective there is an example that Rock and Roll Gold and Finish Line Dry Teflon perform very well when applied over a base coat of an ultra-fast wax as a relube. And talking about lubes and chains, they have a chain for sale that is ultrasonically cleaned and set up with their special lube technique, whatever it is. I haven't looked too far into it, but they're claiming five extra watts for 89 bucks. I don't know, check it out for yourself. All this work on clunky metal brings up an interesting question for me, and that is, what does the future hold for derailers? Some would have never thought that disc brakes are getting as far as they have. They'll probably be on road bikes in the peloton within the next couple of years. That's my prediction. Will the humble derailleur get bumped for internal shifting of some sort? And what about the chain? They're looking at belt drives on the site in the next month. Will belt drives ever be on pro bikes? Let me know what you think by leaving a comment at the website. I think this is the direction that bike companies probably will go if there's more reliability. It seems like there's just a bit of tradition because there probably could be better ways to do all of these things. Now, let's get to that quote from the top of the show. It's Andy, the praying mantis schleck, talking food. The dude's not as skinny as Rasmussen was, but equally as sexy, don't you think? Also, check the end of the show for a funny ad that ran on Eurosport during the 2010 tour, Andy Contador. I'll leave it at that. It's pretty funny. And, well, that's it. So till next week, I hope this helps you ride longer in the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. Hey, I'm Andy Schleck. I'm Alberto Contador. I write Specialized. I write Specialized too. My max voltage is 899. Mine is 800. My fastest time up to is 57 minutes. Yeah, I remember waiting for you. I can eat 20 energy gels without throwing up. I can eat 21 plus a deep fried turkey. I once wrestled a bear. I took down the bear with a single punch. Did not. Did too. Did not. Did too. Did not. Did too.